Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Welcome to this episode of The Charlie Kirk Show. We got a real special episode in store for you. I have a really in-depth conversation with David Harris Jr., one of the top black conservative voices in the country, who is also a fellow at the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty at Liberty University. But before we air that interview here on the podcast, I want to talk about some non-riot news. There's a lot that's been happening in our country and a lot that's been happening in politics in just the last 48 and 72 hours that is easy to not talk about when the entire country is actually burning. It's easy to miss this news. And even some people say, well, maybe the media is focusing so much on the riot, so this stuff actually does not get covered. So I'm going to give you a quick rundown of what's happening in America, a one-stop shop of news around Rosenstein, Mattis, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Nancy Pelosi, the Chinese coronavirus. Remember the virus? Remember when that was like the worst thing in the world two weeks ago? We had a live stream and a discussion of why Dr. Anthony Fauci was wrong, and that's all anyone was talking about. Now the world's actually burning. So let's get right into it. James Mattis, Secretary James Mattis, who is the Secretary of Defense under President Trump, has come out and has inserted himself into the political conversation. Now, mind you, I believe that Mad Dog Jim Mattis is an American hero. He's very well respected by a lot of people in the military. I think he's laid his life on the line for our country. But what Mad Dog Mattis said is completely unacceptable. This is breaking news. The Atlantic has called this, and again, the Atlantic is that amazing intersection of wildly talented people who hate our country, quote, an extraordinary condemnation. Mattis came out and he said this, we must not be distracted by a small number of lawbreakers. He continued by saying, we must reject and hold accountable those in office who make a mockery of our constitution. Donald Trump is the first president in my lifetime who does not try to unite the American people, does not even pretend to try. Instead, he tries to divide us, Mattis writes. We are witnessing the consequences of three years of this deliberate effort. We are witnessing the consequence of three years without mature leadership, end quote. He then goes on to take a page from the radical left's playbook and compares Donald Trump to Adolf Hitler. So this is someone who was selected by President Trump. And at one point, Mad Dog Mattis said, I'm not going to be one of those people that exits and then bashes the president. A complete and total lie, by the way. He Mad Dog Mattis was selected by the president. He has no gratitude at all whatsoever. But you want to play hardball, Mad Dog Mattis? You want to have your foreign policy be put in perspective? The reason you're no longer Secretary of Defense is that you've never found a war that you don't want to send our loved ones overseas to go fight that will not make our country safer. Whether it be the Iraq War, 
whether it be the Libya-Syria displacement, you and the entire warmonger industry in Washington, D.C. have done enough to destroy the American middle class, spend trillions of dollars we do not have. You say that would make a mockery of the Constitution. Donald Trump's the most constitutional president of my lifetime, far more than George W. Bush and Barack Obama. And isn't it interesting that you're starting to see this drumbeat of former cabinet officials and former presidents that are starting to come out against Donald Trump? This is all in time for the election. We are a couple months away now from the convention, and the election will be here in an instant. They are not going to allow Donald Trump to get elected again unless we rise up in record numbers. This is a cabinet official, someone who was in confidential briefings with the president of the United States with no gratitude whatsoever, with no appreciation for the president, putting him in the highest position of Department of Defense to defend our country. And instead, he is nothing but harsh things to say and compares him to Adolf Hitler. And how is this the president's fault? The president has done nothing but has protected our country, has gone after Soleimani, has gone after al-Baghdadi. And instead of Mad Dog Mattis recognizing that ISIS is finally completely destroyed. Remember when ISIS was a big deal when Barack Obama and Joe Biden were running the White House? Remember when Iran was getting billions of dollars in cash? Do you remember when Israel was basically put in the crosshairs of our administration? Now President Trump stands with Israel and the embassy is in Jerusalem and the Golan Heights have been recognized. Instead of Mad Dog Mattis talking about how President Trump's probably crowning accomplishment is putting the Chinese Communist Party on defense and recalibrating our relationship with the Chinese Communist Party, Mad Dog Mattis compares Donald Trump to Adolf Hitler. This is a betrayal of honor. Mad Dog Mattis, being an American hero, has let me down. I had great high hopes for him despite the fact that he has been behind horrible and awful foreign policy decisions. He has now tried to repudiate the President of the United States because it's going to get him clickbait. I'm going to call it right here on the Charlie Kirk Show. I would not be surprised if people like George W. Bush endorsed Joe Biden for president. I would not be surprised if many other former Republicans who are more worried about the status quo of appeasing China and keeping our country perpetually weak I would not be surprised if they endorse Joe Biden. So speaking of establishment individuals that used to serve in cabinet level positions that are completely and totally disgraceful, Hillary Clinton uh, has some news. Interestingly enough, as the country burned, Hillary Clinton's lawyers appeared in court to argue as to why the secretary of state should not appear in a deposition for a lawsuit filed by Judicial Watch. Now, Tom Fitton, the head of Judicial Watch, is a dear friend of mine. He's terrific, and he's a fighter for freedom and fighting for the rule of law. He has been still, he has not let go of Hillary Clinton, despite the fact that she gets off at every single turn, and we have this selective form of justice. Now, all of this is, of course, to uncover what's hidden in the 33,000 emails she deleted, the phones she destroyed with a hammer, and the servers she acid washed. And it all happens to occur on the day social media literally goes on a blackout. What great cover, right? What an amazing coincidence. I'm sure the media didn't tell you that Hillary Clinton is still in a lot of potential legal trouble. Now, hopefully we'll see more of Hillary in the coming months. Maybe she's still in the woods. But as this lawsuit goes forward, it's really important to remember that this is a private, independent, nonprofit charity that is holding Hillary Clinton accountable. Judicial Watch is doing the job of the U.S. Justice Department. But the fact that the Justice Department is staffed with Bill and Hillary Clinton friends all up and down, it takes someone like Tom Fitton, who plays hardball and is relentless to get this done. We're going to have Tom Fitton on our show very, very soon to discuss this. It's time to build the wall around your computer. There are foreign adversaries all across the world that want in on your computer. What would happen if they saw your text messages, your emails, your credit card information, your most sensitive data? 
Well, if you do not have a software that is built in America by Americans, you might as well just hand your phone over and your computer over to the Chinese Communist Party. That's why you need PCmatic. It's PCmatic.com slash Charlie. They're a whitelist next generation antivirus system designed to stop modern threats like ransomware. Independent testing, AV test, just named PCmatic as a top performer in the cybersecurity industry, giving it the best performance award for 2019. Only PCmatic has American research development and support. PCmatic's competition is made in foreign countries, many where the viruses originate. PCmatic protects Windows computers, including XPV Vista, including XP, Vista, Windows servers, Macs, MacBooks, Androids, phones, and tablets. You can visit the offer at PCmatic.com slash Charlie. That's PCmatic.com slash Charlie. PCmatic has offered my listeners a free month of security protection with the purchase of an annual license. It's PCmatic.com slash Charlie. PCmatic.com slash Charlie. Nancy Pelosi was also seen walking in the streets with the rioters and the protesters around Washington, D.C. Now, some of these people were indeed peaceful, horribly misinformed around police brutality and violence and systemic racism. But as rioters have ransacked Washington, D.C., Pelosi has still not repudiated them. She's been dead silent. This just reminds me when she was mingling with crowds in San Francisco, Chinatown, when she was trying to denounce racism at the beginning of the Chinese coronavirus. Now, we've had decades of ignorance from Nancy Pelosi, so I don't expect anything else from her. But what's so infuriating is that she is refusing to allow Congress to convene in Washington, D.C., because she says it's too dangerous. It's too dangerous, don't you understand, due to a lack of social distancing. Meanwhile, we have protesters literally next to each other. I'm watching images right now of thousands and thousands of people next to each other in Washington, D.C. And boy, isn't it amazing how quickly the virus just stopped being the worst thing that ever happened to our country? Isn't it amazing how these lockdowns disappeared as soon as a justice cause came up? As soon as social justice became more important, the virus took a back seat. And mind you, this is very personal because I was one of the people calling for reopening America and calling that the lockdowns might be one of the worst non-military decisions in American history. And for those of us that have said that, and for those of us that have talked about how the lockdown has severely impacted American society, we were called the worst things you could possibly call somebody. Amazing piece on Twitter done by an individual by the name Drew Holden. Uh, it says he's DC comms, Hill and hedge fund alum, uh, commentary at resurgent and bylines in New York Times, Washington Post. Anyway, he, he basically says this. He says that conservatives aren't mad because of the protests. He says we're mad because all of you said we're evil for suggesting mere weeks ago that some would just want to not keep things locked down. And by the way, here's some of the things that were said. Joe Lockhart, who's a CNN contributor, called people like me, you're a grandma killer. This is a direct direct quote. You're a grandma killer, yes. But you're also a nurse killer, a doctor killer, a cop killer, a grocery killer, a student killer, a five-year-old killer. And it continues. Joe Lockhart, who's on CNN payroll, says that. And no one is ever going to hold him accountable because the activist media never gets held accountable. Another guy by the name of Tony Posnoski said... You go to Coden Corral and rejoice you're brave with other people brave enough at the Brave Buffet. These Trump supporters at the protest make the Black Lives Matter movement look bad. The same ones that carry guns in government buildings. The same ones that violently attack peaceful protesters. Same racist effers. Don't you dare tell me any different. F these awful words. And then, of course, the brilliant Kurt Eckenwald couldn't help himself, who's another absolute fool. He's a fool. He's a New York Times bestselling fool. He says that, and heads up, you're a grandma killer. You can go through all these tweets. It's dozens of them in the media that were saying that if you dare to go outside and wanted to reopen America, you're a grandma killer. But now none of them are using that language to talk 
about the rioters or the protesters or the people that are sowing civil discord in our country. So Nancy Pelosi says that it's too dangerous to go outside. Meanwhile, she's actually going outside. She does not have social distancing, and she is supporting the very same protesters that are outside protesting something that does not exist, which is systemic racism and widespread police brutality. But here's the main point. What Nancy Pelosi's photo op would have us believe is that the virus does not affect you just as long as you're protesting cops. Well, look, now I'm not going to be one that's all of a sudden going to say that the virus is absolutely going to kill every single person. But if we're going to be consistent, the virus doesn't care whether or not you're protesting something righteous or something not righteous. The virus actually doesn't really care, meaning the virus could very well spread at any time, regardless if you're protesting alleged widespread systemic racism, which does not happen. It's almost as if they don't care. It's almost as if they have selectively used the virus to apply to whatever political agenda they see fit. But if you're fighting for anarchy or for the dismemberment of America, effectively, according to Nancy Pelosi, you're immune to COVID-19 or the China virus. Sure. Now, this is the logic of the left, of which there is none. Remember, the left has no logic. They have emotive pathological feelings that are designed to make you feel group humiliation. Tucker Carlson said this beautifully. He said, America's new religion is group humiliation. They are going to find people that they think are the problem. They are going to humiliate you into subservience. President Obama came out and broke precedent uh, to criticize his predecessor, President Trump. So here's just one question I have for President Obama when it comes to race. Why didn't you fix all of America's racial problems in eight years? You made them worse. So if you combine George W. Bush and President Obama, who are now going up against President Trump for race relations in America because some Minnesota cop who participated in something awful and evil and did something evil, somehow this is Donald Trump's fault. It's not A.B. Klobuchar's fault, who was the actual the individual who could have put him in prison but dropped all charges when she was in the prosecutor's office. It wasn't the police superintendent's fault. It wasn't the Democrat governor's fault. So now after 16 years, President Trump is cleaning up this monumental mess. But who better than Barack Obama, who was elected twice as a black man, to lecture us all on what is racist and unequal in, Amer in America, even though him, as a black person, literally lives in a $15 million mansion in Martha's Vineyard? How could a racist country reward a fool like Barack Obama to become president of the United States as a black person? The answer is that President Barack Obama does not believe America is a racist, bigoted country. He says it to manipulate people. He says it to control people. And he says it to stay relevant. This is spreading at an alarming rate. I'm watching video and imagery of people in Maryland and people in Oregon, thousands of people, white individuals that go down on their knees and start apologizing for something they never did, for saying, oh, I apologize for all the systemic privilege that I have against you black people. Go back in the previous episode of The Charlie Kirk Show where we debunked the racist lie that is white privilege. But I do want to share some good news. In the midst of the pandemic and the riots and the looting and the destruction Jack Posobiec, who I encourage you to go listen to his amazing episode where we talk about Antifa and the roots of Antifa and where it comes from, he started a GoFundMe for the black cop, Captain David Dorn. David Dorn was 77 years old, black, retired police officer from St. Louis. Though he was retired, he still spent his personal time helping with security at a friend's pawn shop. He was gunned down by looters and rioters and thugs. And his end of watch tragically came Tuesday morning. Now, why was he killed? For a television. He was killed for a television. More black police officers have died than unarmed black men in the last two weeks. But the media won't tell you that. And while black lives matter and the media 
ignores this tragic event. The American patriot, Jack Pasebic, he stepped up and raised over $225,000 for the family of the fallen hero. President Trump, who the left regularly calls a racist, and I have to say this and I say it often, the more you use that term racist, the less that it means. Real racists are allowed to slip through in society, like the racists on the left, like the racists that purport the lie of white privilege. But President Trump, who's called a racist and uncaring to black Americans, did more to actually help a black family than Black Lives Matter ever has by promoting the link on Twitter. And then also in this jammed news day that the media is probably not telling you about because we're being told about how awful we are for just the color of our skin if you happen to be a white person. I know that there's lots of different individuals that listen to this program, lots of different individuals of different races and backgrounds, and I hope everyone listens to this program. And I look at you as a person, as what's in your soul, not as your skin color, as your character, about your worldview. I mean, remember Martin Luther King used to say, judge not on the color of your skin, but the content of your character. And the media has decided to ignore that. We are entering a racist time in American history where the left wants to judge people solely on the color of their skin, not on the contents of their character. So Rod Rosenstein also testified. He just testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee Wednesday. Now, if you don't remember, Rod Rosenstein was the deputy attorney general and basically ran the entire Russia probe because former attorney general of the United States and current Senate candidate in Alabama, Jeff Sessions, recused himself. Now, he told senators he would not have signed off on the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, warrant renewal request to monitor former Trump campaign aide Carter Page had he known about since revealed significant errors in the application. Now, Senate Judiciary Committee member Josh Hawley, who's terrific, by the way, went on Fox to rip on Rosenstein. Good. And he was spot on. Let's listen to some of Josh Hawley's words from the testimony and a little of him on Fox News play tape. It had 17 material misstatements, falsehoods, omissions. You signed off on it personally. How could this happen? I approved the submission of it, and, and four federal judges signed off on it too, Senator, because, like me, they believed that the information had been verified and was accurate. Did they have a duty to verify the information? No, the agents had a duty to Did verify it. I think that Rod Rosenstein admitted that he signed this warrant to a secret court, the FISA court, for a wiretap, and he admitted that he didn't even read the warrant application. This was a warrant involving the President of the United States, an ongoing investigation of the President of the United States, and he didn't even read it. And before the committee, he acted like he wasn't responsible, and you know that it was somebody else's responsibility to verify these facts. He, they misled the court so badly, Martha, that the court on its own issued a statement that said that we can't trust anything that the FBI gives us in any other case because we have been so badly lied to. Somebody has to be responsible here. Now, he just said that Rosenstein wasn't serious about doing his job. He's right, especially in relation to former special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into claims of collusion between Trump campaign and Russia. He said, quote, I think that Rod Rosenstein admitted that he signed the warrant to a secret court the FISA court for a wiretap, and he admitted that he didn't even read the warrant application. This is a warrant involving the President of the United States, an ongoing investigation of the President of the United States, and he didn't even read it? He acted like he wasn't responsible and, you know, that it was somebody else's responsibility to verify these facts, like a coward, by the way. The FISA court, on its own, issued a statement and said, we can't trust anybody that the FBI gives us in any other case because we've been so badly lied to. Look, this will get lost in all the news today, but this is a shocking admission. 
How can Americans have any trust in our government, especially the top law enforcement agency, and it all connects together, while they allow America to burn, while they allow our country to be put into ashes, while they allow group humiliation and class guilt and blood guilt to be put forward without any sort of cross-examination of data or facts? How are we supposed to trust our government when they're more worried about spying on the President of the United States and covering up for it than they are worried about upholding the rule of law? By the way, by saying the former acting attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, didn't even read the warrant to spy on President Trump is outrageous. If this was an explicit podcast, this would be the time I'd be using those four-letter words. Good for Senator Hawley. We must not allow this to be buried. The truth will continue to come out if we demand it. America's ready to get back to work, but to win in the new economy, you need every advantage to succeed. Smart companies run on NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, you'll have the visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in sales, NetSuite lets you manage every penny with precision. You'll have the ability to compete with anyone, work from anywhere, and run your whole company right from your phone. Join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to make it happen. NetSuite surveyed hundreds of business leaders and assembled a playbook of top strategies they are using as America reopens. You can go right now to seven actions businesses need to take right now to schedule your free product tour guide at netsuite.com slash Kirk. That's netsuite.com slash Kirk. Reopen America. Take the test. netsuite.com slash Kirk. All that news happens while protests and riots are happening across America. I'm watching police officers arrest individuals that have decided to shut down an entire street in downtown New York City. Good. Game time is over. It's time to arrest people. It's time to put them in prison, especially the people that are throwing Molotov cocktails at police officers, especially people that are trying to burn down courtrooms, especially people that are wearing Joker masks like they are in Chicago and setting police cars on fire. This is what's happening right now in America. It's a term I read by a dear friend of mine that he coined. Anarcho-tyranny. Anarcho-tyranny is the unjust application of the laws to fit your political agenda. If you don't know what this is, go watch Batman Begins. We are creating Gotham City across America. We're sure if you're well-connected to the police, and you know the police commissioner, or you know the right gangbangers, you can stay out of trouble. Sure. But if you happen to be on the wrong side of the aisle, watch out. Lawlessness will abound. Anarcho-tyranny is the mixture of allowing certain subsets of people that are not in a favorable light, like Christians, by the way, to not go to church, like black Christians cannot go to church in Chicago. Meanwhile, black gangbangers can burn down businesses all across South Chicago. You can have white suburban leftists that literally are lawyers in New York City throw Molotov cocktails at police officers only up until the point that we make total outrage about it do police officers start to take this seriously. I'm starting to see mass arrests happen in New York City and it couldn't happen soon enough. It's time to restore the rule of law. And that's exactly what I talk about with black conservative David Harris Jr. I think you guys are going to love this conversation. He's one of my favorite patriots. I work with him at the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty at Liberty University. And I encourage you guys to check out Turning Point USA. You can email me directly, freedom at charliekirk.com. If you want to get involved with Turning Point USA, freedom at charliekirk.com. 
Stay focused on the news. This is your place for news and for updates. Type in Charlie Kirk Show. Hit subscribe. As you notice, we're doing two podcasts a day. We're working our tail off here for you guys. So keep supporting us. Go to charliekirk.com. That's charliekirk.com. Enjoy this conversation with the terrific David Harris Jr. Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends from around the country and literally around the world, this is another episode with my co-host, We are doing each other's podcast today. It is a true honor and privilege to have my good friend, Charlie Kirk, on the show with me today. And you've got to, if you're not already following him and subscribe to his podcast, you must do that that as well. Charlie, such a pleasure to have you on today with me, my brother. I'll throw it right back at you, David. Everyone's got to subscribe to the David Harris Jr. Show. You've been surging those Apple charts, man. That is hard to do. So congratulations on that. So all my listeners... Check out David Harris Jr., and you're going to find out why throughout this conversation. Yes, and it's David J. you got to have the J in there. I started out that way, and I can't change it. So David J. Harris Jr. is how you find me. So, Charlie, our country is literally in chaos right now. We've got Black Lives Matter protesters that are marching all over the country. I just uh, parked, I just went to one that was literally less than a mile from my house. I wanted to see if it was going to stay peaceful. It did, but I was, uh, I was not surprised to find out and, and to, to see after it ended uh, somebody that looked like Antifa that literally led the, the charge in another direction, started taking the crowd in an opposite direction of traffic, um, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. He, he led us all down uh, commercial properties, and, and at one point somebody said, let's go to the freeway, and we're talking about Dallas uh, Tollway in Dallas uh, just north of Dallas, it would have been absolutely catastrophic. It could have been definitely dangerous, but it's so disturbing what we are all witnessing take place in our country right now. And I so appreciate you, my brother. I so appreciate your voice. You shared a message, a video yesterday, breaking down some of the truths and facts uh, about not only black lives, but black lives matter and what's taking place in our country. Uh, give us your overview, if you will, just specifically on what is taking place Uh, How is the wool trying to be pulled over our eyes? And then what can we do about it? Yeah, I mean, look, two things can independently be true. Number one, that the death of George Floyd was a horrendous act. And that you should, and anyone who doesn't say that is not being honest to the facts. And by the way, David, as a correlator, I haven't found one person who hasn't said that. If you can find that person for me, please find that person. Because the media said we're divided over this. I don't think we're divided over it. I think we're divided over the fact that Democrats are supporting the arson of American cities. The second thing can also independently be true when you notice, once you say the first thing, which is this is a statistical anomaly. This is not, this is not something that happens with great deals of occurrence, despite what the media tells you. In fact, if you actually look at the police trends and you look at police brutality and you look at the studies that have been done, and people say, well, you can't count the studies. I mean, at some point, you're going to have to accept some form of data. I mean, you can't just have nothing but my truth and first-person testimony. And what bothers me the most, David, is that I care deeply about black America. And I've tried to, in many different ways, impact the conservative movement positively by elevating black voices throughout the last couple of years. And I have seen amazing people like yourself grow and flourish on digital media, which has been one of the greatest things for myself to see. And I know based on conversations with yourself and Candace Owens and Terrence Williams and all these amazing patriots that 
if the police withdraw from these communities, which will happen as a result of this misinformation and propaganda machine of the media, then more black people are going to die. And so people are accusing me of the worst possible things you can imagine. But my motives are actually, I want black communities to be safe. I want law and order in our urban communities. So that's, that's my motivation behind doing these videos that have been incredibly viral, but I never would have thought they would be, David, because I was just talking about pretty widely accepted statistics and facts. And so I'm really upset because more black people are going to die. In fact, thousands of more black people are going to die by other black people, not by police officers, by the way, by urban city or urban area type, you know, death because of the protests that are happening. Because police officers are going to say, if we're not welcome here, we're not going to go to a place where we're going to be killed. And the final thing I'll say is this. Twice as many black cops have died in the last two weeks than unarmed black men by cops. Twice as many. This is an injustice and this is evil, but Black Lives Matter conveniently ignores that. It is unjust. It's evil. Uh, it really, I really personally believe, as a Christian, I know you are as well, I personally believe that this is a spiritual battle that we're in. It is, it is good against evil. And what's so sad to see, and I posted earlier on Instagram, uh, there's been, I believe, six black individuals that have lost their lives uh, just during these riots. Uh, where's Black Lives Matter at? Where, where are the protests against the rioters? You know, what I'd love to see are those people that are actually peacefully protesting and do want to see justice. I'd love to see them stand up against those that are actually rioting and causing the the mayhem, destruction, and murder of other innocent Americans. It's an absolute disgrace for anybody, especially the black community, to try to champion uh, the the murder of George Floyd by by even standing by idly and not doing or saying anything uh, when they see individuals that are not a part of their mission and their movement uh, wreaking havoc and destruction on businesses and and people's lives. I mean, it was so heartbreaking to see David Dorn that retired chief, uh, chief of police laying there uh, in blood and over a television, over a freaking television. It's like, what have we really come to in this country where individuals feel like it's okay to riot, to loot, because there's chaos going on? Where, where, are, the, where are the champions that are going to stand up and speak out uh, and, and let that catch like wildfire throughout this country? I mean, there's... Well, there's and- are doing that, but I know we need to say, see a, a hell of a lot more of them. Well, and you know Barack Obama, who's an awful leader, he he said he's going to you know he's going to address the nation. He's going to try to comment on this. His previous comments were this: we can't allow this to become normal because it's becoming normalized. It's happening all the time. Well, no, it's not. It's not. In fact, last year in a country of 330 million people, there was not even. One per month, one black person per month killed unarmed by a police officer. And even the definition of unarmed, David, if you go into the Washington Post definition of it, you and I would say, I don't know. I mean, they were grabbing for the police officer's weapon. They were charging the police. And now I'm not justifying what happened. That's not what I'm saying. But if we have nothing but emotive pathological arguments and we dismiss all data and all statistics, kind of like we, what we did with the lockdowns, and I want to talk about in a second because I think they're actually, these are all really related with each other. But all of a sudden, we're going to make really, really bad decisions. And so it's one thing to have a very appropriate emotive response. Because I did. When I saw that cop put his neck, put the knee on the neck of George Floyd, I said, this is a disgusting person who needs to be held accountable. So I had that emotive response. 
But then I also, I think, have the restraint to say, I'm not going to misapply that singular incident to every single law enforcement officer across the country. That's called maturity, by the way. That's called the ability to be rational and make good public policy decisions. And so during the lockdown, I think we need to talk about this more, David, is we locked up, particularly in urban areas, men and women, but men in general are doing the rioting. We know that. Men in general, the ones being arrested, we know that. Like 80% of the arrests are men. And so you have men that are filled up with record levels of testosterone. They can't go to the gym. They can't go to the church. They can't get counseling. They can't go to sporting events for 10 weeks. And you know where they can go? The weed dispensaries were open and the alcohol, the liquor stores were open. Which causes people to be more violent. Not, not everyone who does alcoholism will, alcohol will be more violent, but that's statistically shown that if you use alcohol, you have a predisposition to being more violent in that incident. And so you combine all these things together, they created a powder keg. They created a perfect storm for something like this to happen. Now, do I think that was planned? I'm not going that far. I'm not. But I am. I think it's really important because bad information and rush to judgment and hysteria got us into the lockdown, which then contributed to the rioting and the looting. And so I'm looking at some of this policy proposals, and I think it's really important to say, okay, what is your specific policy prescription to solve what you think the problem of police brutality is? Black Lives Matter says it on their website, David. Defund the police. Endorsed by Rashida Tlaib. That is their position. I think that's an awful position. I actually... So, and I, I mean, I, I, I don't think any sort of system is immune to reform. And then people are accusing me, well, Charlie, you think that the system is perfect. Well, no, I'm, first of all, I'm saying you can say sets of data without having to say you're defending an entire system. I mean, the, the, the laziness and the sloppiness of people's minds is incredible to me. So I say, here's actually how it is. It's not as bad as you think, but I'm a huge fan of body cams. I'm a huge fan of police officers being monetarily rewarded for peaceful de-escalation. I'm a huge fan of more black people becoming police officers in the neighborhoods that they patrol. I mean, I'm not, I'm not against having some sort of reform conversations. What I am against is where I know this is headed, which is a broad, massive indictment of all police officers, and then more black people will die. It's called the Ferguson effect. After Ferguson, police departments said, we're done. We're done. We're out. We're not welcome. You guys don't want us here. You've told us to leave, and we will. Black deaths went up in every single city where that happened, David. And that's not good for anybody. No, it's not. And so many people are being led like sheep and don't even understand what they're, what they're doing. This whole Blackout Tuesday that we just had, I was shocked, Charlie. I was shocked at some of the individuals, some of my Christian friends, some of my pastor friends that went along with it, that posted a black screenshot and hashtagged Black Lives Matter. These are pastors that I respect. These are individuals that I believe have spiritual discernment, that I believe, it, and I know they're good-hearted, well-meaning people that think that they're helping, but they're not. They're buying into, really they're buying into a racist rhetoric. This one really, this one really set me aside. It's a black individual. I won't say his name. He's very connected in the music scene, in, in the gospel music scene, uh, in, the, in the Christian conservative music scene with Hillsong, with Bethel. Um, he's very connected. Uh, I could tell when I met him, he knew where I stood politically. He knew I supported the president, and he was a little standoffish. He made a post where he said, he said I'm actually going to read it. I won't say his name, but I'm actually going to read it because it, yeah, it baffled me to no end that he felt like this was something that was necessary for us to even think is possible. He said this, 
Since the music industry started Blackout Tuesday, here are some solutions we would love to see starting tomorrow. Again, this is coming from a black individual. K-Love, Way, Way FM, and other Christian radio stations will begin to play black artists outside of their normal format. If you need suggestions, and he gave some, this would be great. Hillsong, Bethel, Evelation Worship will begin to contact some amazing black writers for collaboration. For collaborations, If you need suggestions, and then he gave some. Uh, booking and touring entities will start booking diverse music tours. Here are some suggestions, and he gave some. Churches that are predominantly white will begin to diversify their worship team and staff. If you need guests to fill slots, inbox me. I read that, Charlie, and I said, so what he's talking about is forced integration? What he's saying is something that is, oh, for anybody now in this Christian space, we need to force people to make room. We don't have, we can't have the genres that we like. You know, we, we create playlists of what we like and what we want to listen to. Does that mean that everybody that's got a playlist that, that, that likes Caleb Radio is now racist? It's, it's feeding into and buying into what I believe is the hate and the evil that is the same exact evil that perpetrated the murder of George Floyd, except now it's coming through spiritual, so, so to speak. I think it's religious spirits, well, individuals, even in the church. It baffles me. Yeah, and you and I are both part of the great project at Liberty University, the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty. I'm sporting my Liberty swag now. And we believe in Imago Dei, that we're all made in the image of God, that actually race is somewhat immaterial to God. And I just had a great conversation with Dr. Carson, and he said it so well. He said, when I'm operating on an individual for brain surgery, I can't tell what race they are. I just see a brain. It's like, that's what matters, is your brain, is your character, is your soul, is your spirit. That's the Christian ethic. And so the hyper-racialization of the churches in the last couple days has been unbelievable to me, David. In fact, I'm not going to say any names similar to you, and it's just not worth it, but there were certain pastors that were liking my post. I didn't ask them to like my stuff, by the way. They liked my stuff, and then their congregation finds out, and then they are forced to say awful things about me saying on stage, saying, oh, no, 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 I actually don't like him very much. And I've met these people, and they're throwing me under the bus. Does it bother me? I mean, it doesn't bother me to the extent that I'm going to let it derail my day, but I'm like, where is your courage, man? Like, I'm a Christian too. You know my heart. Like, I mean, we host the Black Leadership Summit at Turning Point USA. Like, I'm, you, you, you're pandering to this. is unbelievable. And so, and then also what you were describing here, David, and I wasn't fully aware that I saw the post, but it sounds like affirmative action for music, right? I mean, what has made... What has made, and this is a really important conversation, is why black comedians and why black artists have traditionally been better is because they felt they had to fight the system and they were amazingly creative and actually white people were the biggest consumers of black music and black comedy even more so than the black community was. And that's a compliment to the, and there wasn't any affirmative action nonsense that made Kanye West the number one rapper on the planet. There wasn't affirmative action that made Chris Rock the most listened to special on Netflix. Uh, it was because they were funny. It was a pure meritocracy, right? And I mean, you can say this better than I can, but I think it's awfully self-defeating to advocate for that, isn't it? Absolutely. I absolutely believe that it is. And here's the other thing that hit me. I literally, I woke up at about 3.30 this morning praying about this because I saw that post last night and it so bothered me in my spirit that I just, I went to bed praying. I woke up at about 3.30 and I really felt like God gave me a word for it. And he said, we are in the middle of an identity crisis in our country. And the church is in the middle of an identity crisis. He said, for anybody, this is what I felt he said to me, for anybody that has an issue with the color of their skin or the color of somebody else's skin, they don't actually have an issue with that individual. They have an issue with God. 
because God is the one that gave all of us our pigment, gave us our nose, gave us our eyes, and placed us where we were born, gave us the parents that we have. It's him that's responsible for who we are. And when we look at another individual and we want to either shame them or feel shame for ourselves, we're literally shaming the creator of the universe. And he said to me, we all need to repent on the, on, for the sins of my brothers and sisters on both sides, right? My mom's white, my dad's black. I've got a lineage of both worlds, of both individual, of both, of both, uh, cultures and nationalities inside of me. I embody them. Although nobody's ever looked at me and said, there's a white guy. I've dealt with racism from both sides, from the black side that were dark, like my dad that, Oh, you're not, you're not as dark as me. And then from the white side. So, but it's an identity crisis that we're in and to see this actually coming up from the church there's a there's a sweeping wave of i believe repentance that needs to take place in our country for god to truly cleanse us from this evil that we've allowed ourselves to succumb to and then there's things in the natural that you know it's like we're seeing thousands of young people in cities all over the country how in the world are there this many thousands of young people in all these random in all these cities simultaneously that are going along with this and I brought it up in my my podcast yesterday the schools are complicit yeah. the universities are complicit they've been breeding out propaganda uh, material they've been ingraining it into our kids into our students and that's got to be the reason why so many young Americans hate America, hate capitalism, and that's that's communism, that's Marxism. They're going to hate God as well. Yeah. Well, David, first of all, I want to compliment you. What you just said right there was very touching and moving. It's one of the best descriptions I've heard, and I really hope that people re-listen re to that because that was terrific. So compliments to you. It was really well done. When running a business, HR issues can kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and more. HR manager salaries are not cheap, an average of over $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, -E, was created specifically for small businesses. You can get a dedicated HR manager and craft HR policy and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. That's right. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding terminations, they customize your policy to fit your business. And they help you manage your employees day-to-day, -day, all for just $99 a month. Month-to-month, -month, there are no hidden fees, and you can cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time in HR compliance. Let Bambi help get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash Kirk right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Kirk. Bambi.com slash Kirk. Spell BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash Kirk. And so this was a, this was many inputs into this equation where we are right now. Number one, you have a generation and most, and let's just be honest with this. Most of the black people are not the ones burning down these cities. It's not. I mean, these, these are people I grew up with. And that's why I made that video and not all of them, but upper middle class suburban individuals. And we look at the arrest records. Most of these people are from the suburbs. It's because they've had no right of passage. They were educated in schools that taught them to bitterly hate our country. They went to universities taught by professors that also simultaneously hated America. And so you saw the two individuals. I want you to imagine this, David. What would it get for you in life? I mean, you talk about your testimony. It's amazing. But were you ever at a place where you were going to throw a Molotov cocktail at a police officer? I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty dark place to get to. Two people in New York City that were arrested with Molotov cocktails 
are lawyers, David. They passed the bar. They're graduates of NYU and Princeton and Fordham. I mean, these are like, what would it, what would make you take a Molotov cocktail and throw it at a police officer if you are a Bard certified lawyer on your way to making half a million dollars a year in 10 years or less? Only the radicalism that is within our schools could teach you and could instruct you to do something like that. Then you couple it with the lockdowns. And then what you also see here, David, which is so important, and you know this because you fight against it every single day, and you were outraged when George Floyd was killed, rightfully so, and, and I was there with you. And again, you can have outrage independent of burning down your civilization. It's, it's as if those two things must be intellectually or culturally permissible. It's so amazing to me. But we talk about, we now have a decades-long cycle of confirmation bias. When I was in high school, it was the beginning stages. I went to a multiracial high school. It was English as a second language, predominant high school. Went with blacks and Hispanics. And I'll be honest with you, we didn't actually even think of each other in different races. We didn't. It was the most, it was like this weird post-racial moment in America I grew up in where we actually didn't care that much about this stuff. I know that, and you probably grew up in that America too, right, David, where you had... Yeah, I felt like I did, but I grew up in a predominantly white area in Northern California, so that's why I was saying I did get... Initially, I'd get a lot of hate from the black individuals there, and then the other half of the black folks in that town were my family. I had a major identity problem uh, and self-worth problem growing up, uh, but continue. Well, yeah, and what I was saying, and obviously every example is different, but for mine it was... And, and I don't want to necessarily speak for every single person who went to my high school, but it wasn't this hyper fixation on race. Let me put it that way. And some of my best friends growing up were, were friends of my football team and basketball team that were black and that were Hispanic and that were multiracial and that were, and, and I treasure those relationships. And so what was so amazing to me though, is now looking back at it, especially right out of high school was the social media propaganda of telling individuals that you have white privilege and kind of creating this drumbeat for a decade long saying that the police are racist with no data to support it, then you have one videotaped incident that all of a sudden literally confirms all that confirmation bias you've been told for the last decade. And you say, oh, I knew it. I've been told this my whole life. And like, well, no, that does not support it. I mean, this is not a widespread crisis. What is a widespread crisis is is black on black crime is black fathers not being in the home is allowing drug dealers to roam free. I mean, the, the scourge of outdoor drug dealing should be rooted out in our inner cities. And we, we have more attention towards the police officers and the ATF agents than the cocaine dealer on the side of the street. And, and I, David, I, 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 I could be somewhat, you know, misguided in this, but I would imagine that most black Americans actually want law and order. They don't want this kind of anarchy. Absolutely. The the whole stitch, the whole snitches get stitches, the whole, uh, you know, black veil where if there's crime or murder that goes on inside the inner cities of black communities, and yet they won't tell because, you know, the, the, the drug dealers, uh, the, the pimps, those individuals that are ruling inner cities will find out and will tell. It is what has created this absolute catastrophe where over 90% of young black men are killed at the hands of other young black men and there's nothing changing. Black Lives Matter isn't going into these cities and holding marches and protests. They ignore it. The mainstream yeah. media ignores it. Nobody wants to talk about it because it's not fitting their, their narrative. Uh, it's disturbing to me. And then add, add to that that Democrats are pushing for female uh, health as birth control is a female health option. And that's wiped out the, another half of the black com- uh, community in our country. It's been a genocide against the black community in our country. And there's only one party right now 
And I believe it's a new Republican Party that we're seeing underneath this current administration. It's absolutely a revolutionary new Republican Party, more back to its original state of being the, the fighters for freedom, the fighters for civil rights and justice, the anti-slavery party. If anything, I believe Donald Trump has brought the origins of the Republican Party back to where, where it wasn't started and should be. And meanwhile, what, what are we getting from Democrats? Nothing but pandering to this divisive division and racist narrative that cops are bad, that uh, that abortion is, is a woman's right to choose, and that we need to abolish the police. It's just, it's disgusting. It's just, it's, it's just disgusting to me that we're here, but yet yeah. we're here. And yet I, well, still, and also- I still have hope. And I believe that, that we will win. I believe that God is doing things behind the scenes right now more than people understand. You know, he doesn't need the mainstream media. God doesn't need the mainstream media. He will move on the hearts and minds of individuals, and he will call and tug on hearts to get people to wake up to share messages like this where people take more accountability for their own spiritual walk and say, and say God, whatever you have for my life, here I am. Here I am. Send me, use me. And I truly believe that when individuals get to that place where they say, use me, God, for whatever you have for, for this moment in time right now, use me. You're not worried about anybody else's race. You're not worried about who has more, who has less. You're not worried about what you maybe missed out on or what you maybe didn't get. You're not worried about that because you truly believe that you're in God's hands, you're in his will, and he will light your path, he will elevate your steps, he will take care of you, and he will use you to bring about true impact in this current generation. That's what I hope and pray and know and believe is taking place behind the scenes right now while in the mainstream media all we see is absolute chaos. Amen. That, that is so incredibly said. And a lot of these protesters and rioters, and I don't want to equivalent, you know, give an equivalent between protesters and rioters. They don't believe in God. So instead, they're going around on pseudo police patrols asking white people to kneel because they are white. I mean, that it's pure evil. What where does this what does this lead to next, David? I mean, what? I mean, this is really, I mean, for people that don't know that are listening to this, there are Black Lives Matter groups going around finding random white people that are walking on the street asking them to kneel. Now, not kneel for Jesus Christ, not kneel to God, but kneel because of past oppression. And this is a bigger issue that we need to talk about here, David, which is the lie of white privilege and the lie behind it. And now there is wealth privilege in America. If you are wealthier and you have access to capital, of course you have privilege. It would be foolish to think otherwise. But inherently believing that the color of your skin gives you these incredible institutional benefits, first of all, it's, it's divisive and it's immoral. And it's not statistically true. It just is not true. And the, the extrapolation of it, I mean, have we learned nothing from the 20th century of what happens when you try to indict an entire group of people based on their skin color? I mean, ha, I mean the entire 20th century should be a how-to manual of, of one takeaway from the 20th century would be like, don't do that. Don't say white XYZ. Don't say Jewish XYZ. Don't say black. That's a really bad thing to do. And yet as a way, and here's, they, they say, well, Charlie, you come from people that did the worst things. Well, first of all, if you actually learn my lineage, my family fought in the Civil War on the Union side. My family were Republicans in the 1920s and the 1960s fighting for black liberation. My white family. So you're wrong with that, okay? So let's just get that out of the way. Secondly, 
why am I responsible even if I had bad ancestors for what people before me did? Like, I can't control that. What makes the West different, David, and what makes the Judeo-Christian ethic different is you're going to be held responsible for what you do, your salvation through Christ, not some sort of karmic debt that exists in your bloodline, not some sort of blood guilt. It, this is so futile is what it is. the feudal system where it's, oh, you made a mistake. Your family's going to be banished to this island for the next six generations. What is this, Game of Thrones? I mean, it's, it's so dangerous. Well, and, and, and we should all be taking notice of what's transpired in South Africa over the last several years where the, uh, the, the genocide now, the, the, the torture, the rape, the mutilation is taking place at the hands of the blacks that were oppressed now that were, that were, now they're the ones that are dishing it out to the whites for no reason, whether they had anything to do with it or not. You know, maybe you can expound on that even more. I know that I've shared a lot of articles on it. Uh, it's absolutely an atrocity that's happening over there. And, and I know I'd seen lots of messages, yeah. and emails from individuals saying, how can, we, how can we get out of this situation? We need help from this situation. We need to, uh, um, we need to, we need help. Um, could that happen here in America? It seems like it's already happening I mean, I, here in America. Yeah, I, I hope not. I mean, South Africa is awful what's happening where... I mean, apartheid was unspeakable and it was evil and it's not anything anyone would defend. But because post-apartheid, there has been a movement in South Africa to be able to repatriate or to have reparations or have redistribution of land owned by white people right to black people where basically they can come and take theirs. And in certain provinces in South Africa, it's being allowed to happen without anyone, any police force or any government authority get in the way. Do I think that'll happen here? Well, we have something called private property law. If we get out, if, we, if they get rid of private property law here in this country, get out because that's the foundation of Western society. That is the foundation of America. Because remember, in the original draft of the Declaration of Independence, you know, Thomas Jefferson, inspired by John Locke, said life, liberty, and private property. They changed it to pursuit of happiness. I'm glad they did because it could have been misconstrued as slavery and all that. However, it's important to know they weren't talking about slavery. They were talking about the idea of you can own your consciousness. You can own your ideas that you as a human being should be able to keep what you earn. Like this is a pretty basic idea that all of us accept as a good value in America. No more. And so, for example, this... I mean, the, the black entertainment television founder comes out and he says, we need a $14 trillion reparations package, $327,000 or something to every single black descendant. I have two thoughts on this. Number one, how is it going to work for you, David? You're half black, half white. Are you going to pay yourself? Are you half oppressed? I mean, are, are you going to redistribute your own checking account? Are you half privileged, half oppressed, somewhere in the middle? Number two, I think it's incredible to me. If, if anyone supports this, then there's no way you could oppose voter ID. Because if black people can get together their paperwork to prove their descendants of slaves nine generations ago, you can show an ID to vote, okay? I mean, I say that half kiddingly. I just think that this whole idea that people say, well, black people can't get an ID. Well, first of all, you're unbelievably racist to say that. The only reason you don't want voter ID is because you want the voter fraud. I know that's a bifurcation of it. But David, can you talk about reparations? Because I, I want my audience to, to just understand from a black person's perspective, why reparations and white guilt and all this stuff is such nonsense. 
Well, I, I think that it's nonsense because for me and myself, I didn't live underneath slavery. My parents didn't live underneath slavery. My grandparents didn't live underneath slavery and so on. Uh, I don't hold anybody responsible that's lived in the past several generations for what my ancestors went through. And, and for somebody to just be born with white skin in today's day and age and have this feeling of white guilt because, and most people probably don't even know if they're descendants from slave owners or not, but even if they were, you're not responsible for the sins of your, your ancestors. You're not responsible for that. To try to suggest and say that you should be held responsible and you should feel shame and guilt over the color of your skin is ludicrous. It's ridiculous. And those pushing for, ra- for reparations are racists. That's exactly what they're doing. They're being racist. They're trying to hold something over you that you shouldn't have to carry, that you shouldn't have to bear, and trying to make you feel guilty for it. It's manipulation. It's domination and control. And the group that I talk about in my book, Why I Couldn't Stay Silent, that that was their MO. Manipulate, dominate, and control by any means necessary was the KKK, the militia arm of the Democrat Party. And that's exactly the same mindset and heartbeat behind anybody that's pushing for reparations, which includes... Black Lives Matter. Well, look, Democrats think they can control black people because they used to own black people. I mean, it is a direct lineage in the Democrat Party. I mean, people need to realize their history. I mean, Republicans freed the slaves. Republicans started as a party of anti-slavery. And I'll be honest, David, I think that the Republican Party lost their way a little bit, maybe post-Reagan. And we got away from this sort of liberation of the disadvantaged. And Donald Trump has brought it back. But let's get back to the roots. I mean, the, the, the most important people in the history of the Republican Party when it comes to black issues and you can, you can make this argument time and time again, is Abraham Lincoln, number one, of course, who made it very clear that black people have value, that slaves should be freed. And, I mean, you had complete and total slavery abolitionists like Thaddeus Stevens that were campaigning for this for decades, and Abraham Lincoln was trying to teeter in the middle. And Abraham Lincoln, what was the book he read every night before he went to bed? The Bible. The Bible built Western society and liberated us from the scourge of racism. Now, people say, well, our country was founded on racist roots. I think that's a lazy, sloppy interpretation. Were there certain individuals that owned slaves that at the time didn't even view this as anything ne- that not, but normal that founded America? Absolutely. But the values in the Constitution, you know what's so amazing, David? Is that first paragraph of the Constitution, despite all the changes, that's never changed. So instead of saying that We've had to change where we came from. We've now affirmed the, the original vision. We've almost metastasized where the founders originally wanted us to get to. It took blood. It took struggle. It took protest. It took a lot of strife. But that vision has finally was finally fulfilled post-Martin Luther King. And we were getting there. And then all of a sudden, Lyndon Baines Johnson, the Great Society Program, goes forward. But you look at Eisenhower. Dwight D. Eisenhower was a committed civil rights leader. Republican up against racist Southern Democrats. Richard Nixon, exactly the same. Richard Nixon fought for the desegregation of the armed forces. Richard Nixon fought for voting rights. When he was running for president against John Fitzgerald Kennedy in 1960, Richard Nixon was the voice of black America. People forget this, that Richard Nixon ran for president in 1960 against JFK, and JFK was the one pandering to Southern Democrats. Do you know how he pandered to them? By choosing Lyndon Baines Johnson as his vice president. He chose... 
He chose LBJ as the southern bitter racist Democrat, the governor of Texas. He said, I'm really struggling as a Catholic from the Northeast to communicate racist values to the South. Can you help me? And LBJ said, don't worry, my boy. I got this for you. And he caravanned around the south, the southern part of the United States on Confederate imagery, on KKK pattering, pandering, on talking about segregation, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. These are words that were uttered by Lyndon Baines Johnson. Now, people say, well, LBJ signed the civil rights bill, not because he wanted to, because there was such unbelievable pressure. But you know what he did? He did a bait and switch. Lyndon Bates Johnson, one of the most sinister, awful presidents in American history, saw the pressure coming. He saw the fact that Martin Luther King was gaining the traction. He said, I'm not going to stop this, but I'm going to do a bait and switch on blacks. He said, I'll sign your civil rights bill if I get an anti-poverty program. And as he did that, he said, I'll, com- I'll compromise. I'll sign it so that black people can vote but I'm going to have them voting Democrat for a lifetime because I'm going to addict them to government benefits. I'm going to break up their family and I'm going to control them through narratives that are not true. Know the history. It's so important. It's so important. The other thing that LBJ did was make it so that the blacks that, would, that, were, that had some of the jobs in the cities couldn't actually live there. They had to go back across the bridge, live outside of the city, uh, but, oh, we're going to let you work here. So that whole, that whole switch, the thing that really bothers me as well, that so many, unfortunately, there's a lot of smart people that are really ignorant. It really baffles me. There's a, re- there's a lot of intelligent people that believe that somehow the party for civil rights, the party against Jim Crow, the party for equality, the Republican Party that was established as the anti-slavery party, there's smart people out there that are ignorant and think that somehow... All of the sudden, all of those individuals fighting for civil rights and fighting for the rights of black Americans became racist. While at the same time, at the same time, the party of segregation, the party of Jim Crow, the party that founded the KKK, the party that voted against civil rights for black Americans, all of a sudden became the party for civil rights and for black Americans. It's like, how in the world... Have so many people bought into that absolute fabricated lie that doesn't even make any sense? Well, and the reason this happened, David, is Republicans fell asleep at the wheel, admittedly, for a couple years. And we enjoyed our landslide elections given to us by Ronald Reagan in 1884. And we we did not do a good job of communicating to black America when black America was failing under anti-poverty programs. And I'm saying this as a conservative. So, look, I believe white privilege is a racist lie. However, I do believe that blacks have been exploited by the Democrat Party. And uh, unfortunately, David, a lot of the black exploitation has happened by a lot of other black Democrats like Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson and Barack Obama and Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch and Lori Lightfoot and Maxine Waters. I mean, so it hasn't always been white people that have been putting these policies forward of black America in the modern era. Have there been plenty of them? Yeah, there have been. I mean, Bill Clinton with the Clinton crime bill, Joe Biden, who authored the crime bill in the Senate. I mean, that would be a good place to start. But here's the here's the important part is that people say that there was a great switch. That is not correct at all. The most generous thing I could possibly say, the most generous thing I could possibly say to even talk about that is that Democrats hide their racism today better than they ever have. That's the most generous way I could say it, is that they hide their racism and they project their racism on the other side. They're just as bitterly racist as they were decades ago. Now, I'm not going to go as far to say that every Democrat is as racist today as they were in the 60s. I'm not going to say that. But a lot of the leaders are. Joe Biden is an unbelievable racist. What he said, if I said that, David, if I said what Joe Biden said with the accent and the word that he said, I would be deplatformed. I would not be allowed on cable television if I said, you know, if you don't vote for Donald Trump, you ain't black. Could you imagine if I said something 
as pandering and racist as that? Oh, and, and here's the thing to me, too. It showed the way that he said it, the amount of comfort, comfortability yes. of which he said it. And then he leaned back and grinned as if he had just scored a touchdown. If you don't know who to vote for, me or Trump, you ain't black. And then sits back and, and smirks. To me, that's the old style ingrained racism coming out of that man. Yeah, and not to mention, he called, he said, you cannot walk into a 7-Eleven without a slight Indian accent. He said that black people were super predators in the 1990s. He defended busing and segregation, which was the highlight of Senator Harris's campaign when she dared cross-examine that. And then everything went downhill from there. He was friends with Robert Byrd, the bitter segregationist. Now, I don't know Joe Biden's heart. I just know his words and I know his policy prescriptions. I know every single policy, every single policy, David, that Joe Biden advocates for, top to bottom, will make black America worse, will make black America more dangerous. Whether it be more abortion clinics, yeah, more abortion clinics, stricter gun laws, less opportunity, empowering public sector teachers. So people say, well, Charlie, what would you what would you do for black America? Well, I'm glad you asked. And David, you could piggyback off this. Number one, I would declare full out scorched earth war on the public sector teacher unions. It is a civil injustice that black kids cannot read. If you cannot read, you cannot function in civil society. I'm a conservative, but I believe that being able to read words is a civil right. I do. I believe that is a civil right for you to be able to read the great books, to read the Bible, to be able to interpret different opinions. Public sector teacher unions run by Democrats and the Democrat cartel have prevented this from happening over the last couple decades. They allow bad teachers to stay in place. They do not pay good teachers enough. They staff these inner city schools with teachers that are not committed to excellence. And then you have this cycle that continues. Number two, get black fathers in the home. I don't know how you do that. You can comment on that. There's different policy ideas. Maybe maybe it's literally subsidizing it. I, I hesitate to say that because Thomas Sowell is teaching us that you subsidize something. You sometimes get something you don't want, but you have to get black fathers in the home. I think we have to have a moonshot. In fact, I think that we have to say we have a goal in the next 10 years to get black fatherlessness down by 20%. And we should track it every month. Are we on track? The government should do this. This is a good, you know why? Because it is a human rights crisis, what's happening in our inner cities. And they're protesting the police. No, it's the fact that the kids don't have father figures. And you know what the first father figure they run into every single day? The police or the gangbanger down the street. So that's, that's their idea of a strong man. So David, I'd love your ideas of solutions for the black community. I think the solution for fatherlessness in the home is going to have to come through the church. You know, I don't know that the government can mandate anything that's going to help people stay together, but I do know that there's an absolute lack of courage in and mentorship for black for black women that are before they get pregnant. I mean, culture has culture has dominated how the black the majority of the black community especially in inner cities feel, think and operate. Uh, sex is glorified. Women are object, objectified. Having multiple women or girlfriends is glorified. Drugs and alcohol, it is a cesspool for the mind. I can't tell you, it, it, it is baffling to me. There's no other genre of music, no other genre, country, jazz, rock, even rock, uh, you name it, heavy metal. There's no other genre of music that glorifies murdering your own color of people, that glorifies drug t- that glorifies drug use, drug take, pimping women, uh, and sex with as many women as you can. Now, some maybe sex and other stuff, but as far as murdering and killing your own people, there's no other genre of music that does it, and yet we've allowed, the black community has allowed, the music industry, the music industry has allowed for songs 
to talk about blacks murdering, capping, killing, and seeing other blacks on the ground, bleeding out or dead. They've allowed that to be glorified, and the church, I don't think, has made a big enough deal about it. The music industry oh, I agree. And, and, and now we've got is- a generation that is completely lost and void of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, to respect yourself, to not sleep with just anybody, to actually feel confident that God created you special and beautiful and created somebody for you to be your mate. For a man to actually know what it means to be a, a man, to be responsible, to find a job, to work hard. Nobody gave me anything. I've worked hard from day one with my very first job, which was Taco Bell. I worked hard at Taco Bell. I did my job. Uh, and then I continued to elevate as, as what seems to happen when you work at one job and you work hard and you're diligent. It seems that, hey, now you've got a track record and you continue to move on to your next job and your next job. Then I opened up a business. Then I was doing $2 million a year in sales in my own small business in my 20s. But nobody gave that to me. I had to earn it. I had to work for it. And that message and that voice is lost to a great degree in the black community. I think that in order for our women, our young girls, to truly start to respect themselves more, they're going to have to hear those messages coming not just from, not even just from the church. And I don't know if you have an idea on how the government could help. Uh, I know that the opportunity zones that the president yeah. has uh, has put forward, that's going to help create jobs and create the opportunity for young black men, women, Hispanics even, in minority communities all around the country to be able to get work, to be able to do something outside of potentially uh, gangbanging or selling drugs. But that's the message that's going to have to grab a hold of this generation in order to, I believe, truly see a shift and a change towards less fatherlessness in the home, less babies born out of wedlock, uh, wedlock uh, and, and then the, the, the decrease in all of the horrible statistics that come from being a single mother, be, being raised by a single mother. Yeah, amen. I, I mean, look, school choice for black kids, those five words every Republican needs to say every single day. School choice. It, it is not perfect. People say, well, there's some schools that is, you know what, it's, oh, it's so much better than what it is now. And everyone admits that. I mean, charter schools, private schools, parochial schools. And then I, I, I think there's some very simple things we can do in our inner cities. Allow police back in the communities. And if they need to be black police officers, then so be it. Um, I, I, I'm not opposed to that. But have, have body cameras, have all these sorts of transparent things, but the idea that you are going to de-escalate situations, that you are going to have safer communities because police officers are not there is not true because you know what ends up happening is you have a hierarchy that ends up being built around criminality, is that the thugs will run the corners and the thugs will run the streets. The reason that police have allowed America to succeed, and we don't talk about this, is that the hierarchy is the Constitution. It's not the cop. It's that the, hi- the hierarchy ends up being the law. And guess what? It's the laws of nature. Nature's God. So the police officer, as imperfectly as a police officer could, because it's a human being, when they are in those communities, you are literally saying that the Constitution matters more than the gangbanger on the side of the street that might be preventing a black person from being able to live, literally, because they are gunning down innocent people on the side of the street. So I argue for more police, not less police. Number two, in Chicago in particular, I'm from the suburbs of Chicago, I think that if we are going to solve the black, you know, the, the problems in the black community, we have to start to solve more of these murders. You'd be amazed that 80% of all gun deaths in Chicago go unsolved. But then if you actually listen to the street chatter and you listen to actually what people are saying on the streets, 
it's a handful of people that keep on committing the same murders over and over again. It, it's, it's, it's a couple hundred people that know when to shoot and know what to do. And this is awful to talk about. But until we're serious about actually saying, hey, let's get 80% of all these gun deaths to actually be solved and people to be held accountable around them. Number three, if I, if I had to argue for one thing, it is a complete and total rebirth in the way we think around welfare in our country. And it is this is not just a black problem, by the way. This is among all parts of the country where we should judge success by people getting off of government assistance instead of people getting onto government assistance. And the fourth thing is this. I think that we should have really strict immigration in our country. I think that we should be having aggressive public service campaigns that go through black leaders and black pastors and say, okay, we are limiting guest worker visas. Can we get 600 black males to go work in this factory down the street? Let's really, let's invigorate, let's challenge because let's, let's, the jobs are there. As long as we have stricter immigration, we can then get black America back to work. Once somebody has a job, David, that whole behavioral pattern, about 15 people that they touch changes because all of a sudden they're like, no, I'm not going to go out tonight. I got to, I got to be held accountable for something. And so when you're not in the workforce, when you're not producing that intersection of responsibility and meaning disappears. It's nothing but like limitless freedom. And I'm all for freedom, but on an individual capacity, if you think you could do whatever you want whenever you want to do it, well, you end up being miserable and you end up harming other people. And so I, I, would, argue, I would argue significantly for that. And then finally, if I had to kind of just you know, tie it all together, I, I think once and for all, you know, we as conservatives have to make the case that our worldview and our Christian philosophy, if you will, can help people individually, culturally, outside of politics. And... And I, I, I'm really worried because this is starting to just, this is starting to transfer now into suburban America, which is like, oh, what's the point? The world is rigged against me. I don't want to do anything. Like, Whoa, what are you talking about? Yes, you're right. We have all these problems. Tech, tech companies hate us. The media hates us. They're probably spying on you right now. Our immigration policies are silly. They're creating $6 trillion out of thin air. They're declaring war on countries we shouldn't be with. All that's true. So what's preventing you from succeeding again? (laughs) Like none of that prevents you from applying yourself, from working harder, from being the best human being you can possibly be, from dropping your addictions, from praising Jesus. We have to communicate that. Be the optimistic, pro-human flourishing message because I think the greatest untapped resource in America is black America. And if there's anyone that should be worried about the amount of visas and people that are pouring into America, it should be black America. If there's anyone that has an argument to be like, hey, we kind of have been treated unfairly. Can we get a chance at these jobs? It's black America. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and now the Hispanic community is, is reeling from it as well. Uh, I really believe and hope that there is uh, that there is what, what you what you suggested. Those five or six points is exactly what could have a practical impact on the black community. Uh, if we were able to partner and pair that with then a spiritual uprising and awakening, and it, is, it always starts with the individual. It starts with the person. It starts with you listening to this podcast right now. It starts with you and your own personal relationship. Maybe you don't believe in God. Maybe, you, maybe, maybe you've been hurt by somebody that's been in a church or that even was a pastor or maybe it was a friend of yours. Maybe you've been belittled. Maybe somebody turns you off to God. You know what? You're listening to this right now for a reason. You're listening to two individuals, two men, a young man and an older man, but still two two men. I still consider myself old, a young, excuse me. You're listening to two men that have had their lives impacted and changed radically by the love of God. We believe in him. We know that he's real. We we trust in him. 
We ask him for forgiveness. We understand that we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody that's ever walked this earth has ever been perfect except for one. And his name is Jesus. And it's because of his sacrifice, his willingness to sacrifice himself. You know, I hate it when I hear this. The, it sounds like a catchphrase sometimes where people say, Jesus died for your sins. No, he was tortured. He was mutilated and tortured in order to carry the cross and bear the weight of our sins so that we could then know the Father. All we have to do is acknowledge his sacrifice and accept it. And I just feel like I need to do this. For anybody listening right now, if you haven't ever accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, what does that mean? That means you understand that you're, you've sinned, you've done wrong. And just like in the natural, in the practical realm, when you break a law, there's a consequence. Well, in, in the universe, in God's universe that he's created, there are spiritual laws. And when you break spiritual laws, there are spiritual consequences. Sometimes we can see those consequences act out in the natural uh, with, with depression, with anxiety, with, uh, with being tormented, uh, literally, and, and by drug abuse. Sometimes we can see those things. But the ultimate, the ultimate weight of sin is death, and it's eternal separation from God. So the beautiful thing about who Jesus was and is is he's that sacrifice. He laid his life down willingly so that we could accept what he did for us on our behalf, and then we could be reunited with a relationship with a pure, loving God. And so if if you're listening to this right now, maybe you have prayed, maybe you have asked Jesus to come into your life, I just really feel like right now, whether you have or haven't, or you need to be recommitted and reconnected, I just want to offer this to you right now. Just just pray this with me. Charlie, I hope this is okay. I just really feel God on this moment right now for individuals listening to this podcast. Just pray this prayer with me right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came and that you died for me. And I accept you right now. Come into my life. Forgive me for all my sins. And whatever they are right now, you can just put those on your lips. Whatever they are, you know what you've been battling with. You need to give them up. You need to release them. You need to give them over to God. Just put them on your mouth. Ask him for forgiveness for those things right now. And now just say, Jesus, come into my life. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Cleanse me of all my sins. Cleanse me of all my wrongs. Fill me up right now with your presence. And help me live for you every day. Give me a hunger to know you and to know this love that David and that Charlie are talking about. I give myself to you right now. And then help me become the person that you created me to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I I just felt like I needed to do that, Charlie. There's people listening to this. That are there's, feeling there's anxiety, tens of thousands that are, of people doubt, that that are feeling worry, that don't know what tomorrow holds, that may even be thinking and contemplating suicide because they just are so confused and so messed up with what's currently going on. And we know the answer. We know his name and his name is Jesus. And he's the only reason why we're even here right now, why we're alive right now. I know he's why I'm alive. I should have been dead almost 10 years ago. I almost overdosed on crack cocaine. And it's only because of his love and his grace and his mercy that not only did I survive that, but now I'm here living and being who he's called me to be. So I just, uh, I'm just glad that, uh, I know you believe as I do, and I'm just believing for every person that prayed that, that they would have their own encounter with that love that changed me, that's changed you, and then drives us to become who we are. 
I think that Amen. we will be the change and we'll, we'll, all of us will be the change that's necessary uh, for our country to truly begin to see great things uh, happen, especially in the black community. Amen. Well, thank you, David. And for people that are apprehensive or skeptical, just surrender. If you've ever felt like you're not, the, you don't have all the answers, well, you're right. And if you've ever felt that you don't have it all figured out, that's okay too. And it will change your life. It will change who you are in the best possible way imaginable. And the the gift is eternal life. Well, that was impromptu. Charlie, where do we go from here? What do you believe all of us should do right now in the middle of this crisis and pandemic? What the heck happened to COVID? Nobody's worried about that now. Now, now it's all the writing. Where do you feel? What do you think that we all need to do at a practical level right now moving forward? Well, I think, uh, first of all, they need to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Number two, they need to understand the facts and the data. They can check out charliekirk.com. We have a lot of the great studies around here, the CDC website, the FBI, the Michigan State, and the University College, uh, Maryland College Park study that all debunks the idea that America, the American police is systemically racist. It also shows the exact opposite, that police officers go above and beyond to try to de-escalate conflicts that actually more unarmed white people than black people died by police officers last year, uh, which is not what the media would tell you. And you don't see uh, huge demonstrations uh, against the police that unarmed white individuals are being killed by police officers. So I just encourage people to pursue truth. Those of us that are Christians know that truth is paramount and we know the ultimate truth. But there, there, there are other forms. There's other less important parts of truth, which is data and science and you know Newtonian physics. And you can't, just, you can't ignore all those things. And people are saying to me, well, Charlie, that's not my truth. Well, you, that really is, I, there's no such thing as your truth. There's just truth. And you might have personal testimony and personal experience, and I'm not discounting any of that. And, but if, you, if what you believe to be true is my truth, and then you apply it to a, na- in a, a macro narrative and say that must be true, well, then all of a sudden you are misapplying a singular incident to the entire society, which could cause serious damage. For example, if an Asian-American started a movement right now and said Asians are being gunned down by blacks in record numbers because maybe a friend of his who was an Asian-American got gunned down by a police officer, they, they, it would, people would say, rightly, there's no data to support that. Well, that's what's happening right now with Black Lives Matter. It's not happening at record rates. It just isn't. And so I encourage people to know the numbers and, and knowing the truth will set you free. Yes, it will. I'm appreciative for you. We've got to know the facts. We've got to know why we believe what we believe. And we've got to be bearers of truth. And I love that. It's not our truth or your truth or relative truth. There's absolute truth. And, uh, and God's word is absolutely true. His love is absolutely true. His presence is absolutely true and real. And uh, when we arm ourselves with the practical side of everything you're sharing, and then inside internally we're carrying spiritually uh, the weapons of warfare that come from walking in love and walking in relationship with our creator, I believe we truly cannot be stopped. We can't, we're unstoppable. Amen. So Charlie, anything else, man, this has been absolutely amazing, brother. Awesome. I loved every minute of it. God bless you and subscribe to your podcast and they can email us at freedom at charliekirk.com and check out the Falkirk center for faith and Liberty. Yes. And for me, check out my website, David my book, make sure you get Charlie's book, the MAGA doctrine. That's amazing. My book, Why I Couldn't Stay Silent, is on my website at davidharrisjr.com. And uh, my podcast, please subscribe, David J. Harris Jr. God bless you guys. See you later, David. Thank you, Charlie. Bless you, brother.
We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.